The following is a Barrett Sports Media production. Every sports media star has a story. From the highs... We are number one. We just grabbed every key demographic. <laughs> to the lows... You're fired! The path to success is always different. To help you learn more about the industry's top broadcasters, Barrett Sports Media brings you the Sports Talkers Podcast. Now, here's your host, Stephen Strong. All right, we're continuing the momentum here. George Sedano of ESPN, ESPN Radio, ESPN Los Angeles. He does weekdays with Scott Kaplan on 710 ESPN. He also does sideline reporting for ESPN for the NBA. Actually filled in and did some summer league play-by-play, so he's kind of a jack-of-all-trades. He was born in New York but was raised in Miami, went to high school here, went to FIU, Florida International University down here, really got his start up. Uh, down here in Miami, worked a little bit at 790 The Ticket with Dan Lebetard. I know him and uh, Dan are close still, so we get into a really great conversation, great insight. His story is similar in ways and different in ways from some of the guys that we've had on. So without further ado, here is George Sedano. Can you kind of take us through your journey to Florida International University and when you decided you were going to fully immerse yourself into sports radio and, and what steps you took to get into it? So the coincidence is that my internship in school was uh, at a place uh, which CBSSports.com, it's, it's what it's called now, but at the time it was called Sportsline.com. And it was based in Fort Lauderdale. So, uh, you know, I grew up in Miami. So quick drive, about 30, 40 minutes. And I, they were launching at the time the first national network for internet only radio. And it was pretty wild back then. I mean, you're talking about 1999, right? So wow. this is a long time ago. And nobody was doing that, like a full lineup just on the internet. And the host that I interned for was Scott Kaplan, who's my co-host now. Wow. Uh, it's, it's just a wild story. And it, it, it really, look, it's the first lesson in this conversation is everybody you see uh, in, on the way up in this business, no matter you know, where you start, you're going to see them again, more than likely. And probably a number of times, but it, it is kind of funny the way that worked out. So that's how, how I got my start. Then uh, I was able to jump onto a very small mom and pop radio station, which had its pros and cons. The pros is a lot of people got opportunities to be on the air, including myself. The cons are mom and pop businesses go out of business. And I they, it did go out of business. And I was out of the business for about nine months. And before I got hired to work as like a third or fourth sports guy at uh, Clear Channel, which is now iHeartMedia. Yep. Um, I was out of the business for nine months. Like literally a buddy of mine, like I was done with school. I done my internship. I had had a job. The business was that cruel that the place went out of business and nobody at that time would hire me for and nine And during months. that nine month span, are your parents pushing you to do something else? What's going oh, through yeah. your mind during no that? No question about it. Like my parents, like you've made a huge mistake like I grew up with immigrant parents, man, like, you know, exiles from Cuba. Like they're like, we didn't come to this country to, flee, you know, flee communism for you to try to be some <laughs> wacko talking sports on the radio. We want you to be a doctor or a lawyer or something like that, some sort of professional in their eyes. And I spent nine months as a courier for one of my friends and his family's business. And which actually was worse because while I was appreciative <laughs> of just making money, um, it was worse the sense because I was in the car all the time. So I was then listening to people that I felt like I was better than mm. uh, for nine months. And it really kind of instilled a fire in me 
where I'm like, this is, if I get another job, I am never going to be in this position again. And thankfully, you know, since knock on wood, since 2001, I haven't been. You talked about your, your background, very similar. I know you and Dan are, are close, but it's very similar stories. How, I mean, what did you know about sports radio growing up? How did you first get introduced to it? So I got introduced to it as a kid growing, you know, going to games with my dad and we'd listen to, you know, the post-game shows and things of that nature on AM radio. And, and I kind of knew I always wanted to be involved at a very young age. I'm talking about like 14, 15 years old. I'm doing this. Sure. So right then and there, I knew that's where I wanted to go. I never thought it would, you know, amount to anything other than I wanted my own radio show. Um, and, you know, eventually it led to a lot of other things, obviously, you know, studio stuff, TV, yep. studio stuff, games. I mean, heat. you name it, you know? Yeah. Heat. Yeah. Heat. Heat got started on radio. Yep. Um, I was also very lucky though. <laughs> like, look, Explain. Man, well, l- let me just say this. I know a lot of people in this business that are really talented, but I know a lot of people in this business that were talented that are no longer in this business that for one reason or another, just never got a lucky bounce, a lucky break that, or, or also weren't willing to do what I did. Right. Sacrifice. Yeah. And make crap money. Right. Because when you first get in this business, you make crap money. Um, I honestly might've been making more as a courier. I think originally (laughs) (laughs) I was first getting into sports radio, but it's, um, I mean, it was pretty close. I got to be honest. With you. There's, but, but, but George, there's something about, I guess, making that that little money, but you're just grinding every oh, yeah. day. You don't know what's coming, but yeah. you know you're doing something. You love just something yes. about that Agreed. journey. And I knew I loved it. And I was still young. I was in my very early 20s. Like, you know, I think my first radio gig, I was 22. Um, so my second radio gig, I was 24. Um, so it was, I was still pretty young, um, but it's kind of humbling, right? Having to, you know, I was uh, originally I was like out of my parents' house and I had to go back to my parents' house and my, you know, after getting, you know, after the place went belly up. Sure. Um, and, you know, d- wasn't able to move out again for another couple, like two more years. Like it just it sucked. Like just like from a growth standpoint, like you're like, yes, this is what I want to do. But I want I, you, you always want to like feel like you want to streamline it a little faster. But yes. honestly, had it not happened the way it happened, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. Like that seems fairly obvious. Okay, let's go to your time with the with the Miami Heat because I think this is an interesting topic because you started hosting with the Heat and that coincided with Shaq coming to the Heat. How much do you think the timing of Miami getting Shaq, the Heat being on a national stage, helped you build your brand and create the future opportunities that you may have not realized you were creating at the time? So the, the first year that um, I was really covering the team on a daily basis, this was prior to me becoming kind of the pre- uh, post and halftime host on radio uh, was Dwayne Wade's rookie year, right? So 2003, the year before Shaq got there, I was there every day as kind of like the reporter, right? Yep. For the radio station. And it was a fun time. That was a great season, super fun. Um, they had a really young, fun team that made yep. it to the second round, but you could already see Dwayne was going to be a star. Um, so that was kind of my first real daily um, gig covering basketball. And it was a blast because those guys, first of all, mostly young guys. And then the veteran guys like Eddie and Brian were so easy uh, to deal with. And Udonis was also there, obviously. Um, So there was, it was just like a fun, fun group. And then Shaq came and that changed my life. So basically that in 0304, the guy who was doing pre and and halftime and post on radio left because of what we just discussed. He was like, I'm kind of tired of making like not so great money. And he went into the finance world. Um, And then I'm not even joking. I get the gig and I want to say within a few months, maybe two months, maybe less, the Shaq thing happens. (laughs) And 
I remember talking to that guy one more time, running into him and him being like, dude, you just like got like won the lottery. And I'm like, yep. yeah. He's like, I had to deal with like four down years of like Vladimir <laughs> Stepania, Alonzo Mourning's kidney ailment, uh, you know, is not, you know, he's not even playing. Like it just, it was insane. And I was like, yeah. And it just, but that's what I'm talking about. Luck, right? Like just timing is such a big deal uh, in this industry, in life in general, but certainly in this industry. I guess because we're in the, the Miami realm, you hosted a couple of different, you were at 940 wins and you were at the ticket. The recent passing of Hank Goldberg, what did you think of Dan Lebitard's reaction to Hank Goldberg? Oh, I, I had the same, a very similar reaction. I wouldn't say the same, um, but Hank Goldberg hated me when I was a kid because I, when I was at 940, I was doing a show and he was doing three to seven. I was doing five to seven and I was kind of cutting into his, his, his number a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit. And it drove him insane. And he was not the nicest person to me early on in my career. As I got older um, and after I got my, after I left the market in theory, like even though I never really left Miami at that time, but I left and got my first national gig at Fox sports radio. Um, Hank, then that's when Hank and I, and our relationship changed. Why do you because think that? No longer, because it wasn't a direct competitor to him anymore. Like that's what it was. And I was a snarky smart ass. Right. So, you know, just as, just as much as he was willing to like be combative um, about other people in the marketplace, I was equally as combative towards him. Mm. Um, I feel like if anything, you know, Dan and those guys, when they were going up against him, they would like make fun of him and those guys in like a funny way. I was more because I grew up listening to him. I took a more vicious approach, kind of like what he would do with me or anyone else for that matter. Mm. So it was a little more uh, contentious, uh, at least early on in my career with that. Um, so look, ultimately I ended up having a, a, a good relationship with him, um, as time went on, but I do remember exactly what Dan was talking about. And I know Mike Ryan alluded to that with me early in my career during that podcast. And yeah, it was not fun early on in my career. And, and but you know, look, things change. Yep. We, you know, he and I were able to be cool down the road. Um, but it was not, um, it was not a welcoming experience by him or anyone, by the way, I'm not, I'm not singling just him out. Everybody involved in sports radio back then looked at me like some young punk, right? Like, who is mm. this bleeping guy? And I was willing to kind of be a, um, you know, a, a bit of an anarchist, I guess is the, probably the way, way to describe it, but certainly a disruptor, right? Sure. Uh, a little Machiavellian, a little Machiavellian yeah. to you. A a anarchist is probably too strong, but disruptor for sure. There was no question about that. And I, I kind of still think a little bit, I like to be a little <laughs> bit of a disruptor when I'm doing the radio show. You type in George Sedano on YouTube and it goes, George Sedano, Dennis Rodman. <laughs> like, all right. Yeah. What is this? So you listen to this interview and I'm just going to be straight up with everyone that's listening. Uh, you can listen to, you can listen to it if you'd like to, but it sounded like Dennis was having some fun with a, another woman while he was he on was the phone being with pleasured you. by a woman while we were on the air. Someone yes. had to say it. George did. Yeah. What do you do in that instance? I mean, I don't think anyone may have had to deal with that in the future, but what was going through your mind during that? Well, I just asked him. I mean, if you listen to it, I could hear the woman in the background. He kind of put her on the phone a little bit. But then I heard things that <laughs> sounded like he was getting pleasure. And I just asked him, Dennis, are you getting it on right now? And he's like, oh, yeah, brother. And so the funny <laughs> part of that story, OK, is it, it's it, that, that that video or the commentary about that. It, it kind of always every couple of years, it comes back up. Sure. Um, like I remember one of the uh, KFC uh, from the Barstool guys like tweeted at me. He was like, this was like incredible, like a masterclass on how to handle it. And I'm like, I don't know if it was a masterclass. It was literally the only, I didn't know what else to do other yeah. than just try to not say what 
was actually happening, but give people the idea of what was happening. Um, and then ask him the, the questions that needed to be asked in that moment. So real quick, just to backtrack on that, his, I'll never forget this because we, I was doing mornings at 790 The Ticket and Levitard was doing afternoons. And we get a call. Uh, my producer, Andy King, um, says to me, hey, so Dennis Rodman's agent on the phone and says he wants to talk to you. And I'm like, like, I go off the air. And he's like, no, no, on the air. He wants to talk about LeBron. And I'm like, okay. Dennis Rodman, and sure. So he, he then, he said, apparently they tried to call Howard Stern first, but Howard was off that day. Cause you know, Howard on Sirius works only a couple days a week. Sure. So, you know, Dennis was living in Miami. The agent lived in Miami and they listened. He, the agent, I guess, listened to me. Um, and was like, well, let's just call Sedona and, uh, and talk about LeBron. And that's how that all transpired. And then, yeah, I, that, that's how it all went down. So again, right place, right time. Timing. Although that one is a little more infamous um, than anything uh. else. But that would have never happened if Howard Stern happened to be working that day. Fantastic story. Thank you for sharing that, George. All right, let's do some broadcast advice stuff and we'll get you out of here. We really appreciate you giving us time. All right, so when you're doing your sideline interviews, your sideline hits with these coaches who don't really want to do these things in that time. Most of them don't, yes. Um, yes. What are the things that you're focusing on to get the best content from the coach? Um, just ask the question that seems the most obvious, right? Like, I'll give you an example. Um, Steve Kerr, a couple of years ago, it's, it's, it'll, it, it's kind of has an interesting tie in now because they just won the championship, right? Sure. So a couple of years ago, we all know Clay's out, Steph's out, you know, Draymond's basically playing with a bunch of kids and a bunch of role players, right? Um, G League guys or whatever. And I'm doing a game of theirs in LA against the Lakers. And for those that don't know, the rule on those interviews is if it's 20 points or more, the coaches don't have to do the interview. But so the worst case scenario for me is always like 18 or 19. It's like, oh, come on. You know, like, <laughs> like the last thing that they want to do is talk to me right now. That is so, so interesting. Wow. Yeah. So it's like 18 or 19. I don't remember the exact scenario. It's, it's a lot. They're getting blown out in the first quarter. And Steve Kerr, who's he's great. Like he is one of my favorites uh, for a number of reasons, but mostly because he makes the job easy. Um, I go to him and I say, Steve, uh, you know, rough first quarter for you guys. And I'm paraphrasing. I don't remember exactly what I said. Rough first quarter for you guys. You know, you know, tons of challenges on the defensive end. How do you remedy that? And he looks at me and he goes, I don't know. You got any ideas? And I said, <laughs> and I kind of chuckle. And I said, I go, me? Uh, that's not my job. That's what you get paid for. You know? And then he goes, you're right. I'm doing a bad job of it. And then he, whatever, described. So whatever good. Adjustments, I guess he felt like they needed to make. Right. And I think it's just that, like, I think it's just ask the obvious question and also be quick on your feet, right? Because if you're not quick on your feet, you're going to melt in that situation. They got to have a little improv. Everybody thinks it's funny. Levitard, this is one of my things with Levitard. He thinks that job is easy. And I said, you, I said, you're like quick on your feet. You'd be good at it, but not everybody is that quick on their feet. And I'm not saying like, I'm the fastest guy on my feet, but I think doing radio for the last 20 years has allowed me to be faster than most people in those scenarios. Sure. Um, just because of all sorts of different kinds of interviews and conversations that I've had over 20 years that you just, you're a little faster than most people in that regard. Uh, you know, another situation that it's actually my pin tweet and I showed it to uh, one of the Spurs guys this weekend and they, they got a laugh out of it still um, was I've, I've only interviewed pop once um, because the first time I had a pop game, they played the Rockets and that 20 point rule came into effect. So I didn't have to interview them. Um, but the funny story about that was, in the, you know, before we do these games, we always, the broadcast crew gets the opportunity to sit down with the coach off camera for like 15 mm -hmm. minutes for just like context and things and storytelling. And 
But particularly in those settings, he's really engaging. And I remember Doris Burke and Mike Breen were doing the game with me that day. No, I'm sorry. It was Mike Breen and Mark Jackson. Cause I remember now specifically, cause it was, we were honoring Craig Sager that night. We were all dressed up in like, you know, the wild garb and stuff and the clothing. Sure. And Mike Breen walks out with me and says, don't let him fool you. He will absolutely take you out in that interview. Don't let that conversation fool you. I said, okay. So during the third quarter, cause we were in San Antonio, you, that's when you do the home coach third quarter, end of the third. Um, you know, the, the game is teetering. It's like 21. And I'm like, oh no, please don't be 19 with him. Like, no, please don't do that. Um, and then it's like 25. I'm like, all right. And then it's like back to 20. And I'm like, oh no. And I'm literally sweating bullets. Like going, I, this cannot be the scenario where I interview him. So nonetheless, it ends up being like 20 something points. So we, I don't interview him, but I get him the next time. Um, I want to say the next season. And so this was DeMar DeRozan's return game to Toronto. And so uh, Kawhi and him have been traded for each other in sure. that offseason. Yep. And we're in Toronto for DeMar's game. And I, I had this, we had the same great conversation. It was me, Mark Jones, and Doris Burke in this one. And Pop's like, great in the interview as well. And I remember specifically in this one, Doris says, hey, you know, Toronto, they jump out on teams early. Like, what do you do in that scenario if uh, they jump out? And he's like, yeah, you know, I'll call timeout. I'll yell at him or whatever. Tell him. And then she's like, yeah, and poor George has to go interview you then. And then he looks at me and he goes, yeah. And then he's like, and I'll look at you and be like, what kind of bleeping question is that? Right. <laughs> and I'm like laughing. So we're leaving in my head. I'm like, I'm going to try to one up pop. So I go in there and I ask him the question and I say, hey, pop, you know, DeMar's return game. And I'm sure a lot of emotions. How do you think he's fared thus far in the first quarter? And he's like, he's done well. And I'm like, Okay. And I go, all right, well, how about this? How about we just end it on that one? I come out ahead here. And he looks at me and he kind of smirks. And then he goes, he looks up at the sky and he kind of looks back at me and he goes, I was really looking forward to a second question. And I start laughing and I, I, I'm trying not to like burst out in laughter. Right. Cause he's kind of smiling at me. I'm smiling at him. I'm laughing. And I'm like, all right, well, I think it was Derek White was on the Spurs back then. I'm like, Derek White's just come back from injury. Like, how do you feel? He's fared thus far off the injury. Sure. Yeah. He's He's done well too. And I'm like, all right. And he's like, um, and I said, all right, pop, thank you. And he's like, that was fun. And I was like, yeah, we should do it again sometime. And <laughs> it was slaps, such a good, yeah. Slaps me on the ass and walks away. And it was, <laughs> it was just, honestly, it was like, I should have retired that day to be honest. With you. I have never ever doing a game gotten more text messages in a span of like 10 minutes than I did. I'm not even exaggerating when I tell you I got over a hundred texts that day. Yeah. And it was such a genuine moment. You nailed it. I mean, some of this stuff, like you said, you got to think on your feet. It's improv. Last one I got for you. You can ask a time. couple more. Don't worry. Go ahead. All right. George is into this. I'm happy we opened him up a little bit. You know, at my age, I'm trying to send out things to program directors or look for different feedback from different people. How do you keep your craft sharp? Like, what do you do? Do you have people you go to? How do you continue to grow? Because this is a cutthroat business and you want to stay on top. How do you do that as a professional? So I'll give you a more recent example, but the, the honest answer is this. I still listen and watch my stuff. Uh, I mean, it's really that simple. Uh, now, maybe on stuff I've done for a long time, like I may not go back and listen to the podcast of the radio show every day because I've been doing that for 20 years. I don't check up on myself on radio all that often anymore. And I used to, so when I first started doing studio stuff, like hosting TV shows and things like that, I was super vigilant about like recording it you know, my DVR and coming back and watching it and just kind of analyzing it, taking notes on like my iPad and just like really breaking it down. Like sure. no different than if anyone would ask me, Hey, can you give me feedback on my tape? I would treat myself that way. 
And for years I did that. And even still to this day, I will still watch stuff back just to see, hey, could I do something different or whatever? Um, even though I'm way more comfortable on TV now after being at ESPN for nine years mm. um, and having done TV previously in Miami. But it, it took a while to make me feel like, oh, I can jump in and do host almost any show now. Um, I'm at that stage from a studio perspective on television where there are very few shows that if you give me the beats and tell me what's coming, I mean, maybe the first time around, it'll be in my head, probably a little clunky, but after a couple of times, like, I'm like, I got this. We're good. Sure. Um, but the most recent example of that is I just kind of got into calling games on play by play recently on uh, summer league. Yeah. Very good. Well, and, and on ESPN gave me a chance to do college football on radio last year and NBA on radio last year. Uh, in addition to the stuff I'm already doing. So all these games air on um, obviously ESPN radio and ESPN app and all that, but it also airs on Sirius. And on Sirius, if you go on their app, you can rewind like four or five, six hours or something like that. So honestly, what I would do is after every college football game that I did last year and every NBA game, I would rewind the app. I would turn it on like some point during the game, uh, maybe towards the end when I knew I was done and just let it run on my phone. And then when I got in the car, I would rewind it back a couple of hours and start listening on my drive home. Or and what, what are some of the things that you're looking at that you're saying, oh, I got to, okay, this, I got to change this. Or what are some of those things? I mean, just, I mean, the first few games, particularly the first set of college football games, um, I was just listening to myself and thinking, all right, am I just calling the game in a way where on radio, everyone understands what's happening, right? Because I think radio, particularly from a play-by-play perspective, is unbelievably difficult um, because you have to be so descriptive. You don't have the screen to tell the picture for you. Basically, the difference to me when you're doing radio as opposed to TV is the ultra descriptive nature of radio. And like on television, you're more you're calling the game, but you're really more accentuating the game. Yes. If uh, if I'm calling a basketball game on ESPN radio and you know I did a number last year and that honestly between the two, as much as I love college football, there's a lot of players. Right. Like you got to remember a lot of names. Um, you have a spotter, a stats guy, all that stuff. It's still a lot to take in. It's a lot of information. Whereas basketball, first of all, I've covered the league for almost 20 years. Like I know every player. I don't need to even look down at my roster sheet uh, or my boards or anything like that. Um, so that was easier just immediately because of that. But for example, just use basketball as an example, right? I will give you like, okay, ball inbound at the top of the key. LeBron's got the ball here, dribbles with his left hand to the left arc passes it to the corner to, I don't know, I'm just thinking of a player, Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook dumps it down into the mid post to Anthony Davis. He looks over his left shoulder, turns, fires, misses, rebound, uh, Kawhi Leonard, right? Like, whereas on television, that same play would be something like, uh, all right, the inbound to James. James looking for, you know, I don't know, like, I, 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 it's hard because I don't know yeah, the actual no, play yeah. in my head. But yes, like, we, James, <laughs> James finds Westbrook. Westbrook dumps it down to Anthony Davis. Davis fires, misses, rebound. And that's it. I don't have to tell you the score. I don't have to tell you the time. I don't have to do any of that. Sh- ooh, I was cursed. Any of that stuff. <laughs> I can, uh, you know, I can literally just ooh and ah a little bit. Marvel more at the play yes. and the athleticism and kind of put a little more flavor to it as opposed to on radio, which, yes, I can still add flavor to it. But my first role is to tell you as a listener what the hell is actually happening and paint the picture to the best of my ability while also telling you time score as much as possible because I don't know when you're tuning into this broadcast. All right, George Sedano, everyone. Big thanks to him. Big thanks to you, the listeners. Make sure to follow him at Sedano on Twitter, 
at SSTROM underscore for myself. I've gotten some really good feedback on this. My DMs are always open, my mentions. I love the feedback and response that we've gotten here so far. Let's keep it rolling. We'll talk to you next Thursday here on the Sports Talkers Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Sports Talkers Podcast with Stephen Strong. A reminder that each episode can be found on iTunes, Spotify, and most podcasting platforms. To stay up to date on future episodes, visit BarrettSportsMedia.com. 